0: Yes, you gotta you gotta hurry up with the uh, with the kid in shit
1: face so you can have fun. <laughs> I, I should, uh, I mean, you know, I'm always down for a good time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Shit, did <laughs> you need another I was one? Doing computer science. Okay, so here's the other thing. I like tea. Uh-huh. Another one would be great. My, I'm, I'm a Kyle, so I also love hard seltzers. So these these are these are pretty good. You know. Thank.
0: Thank. Thanks. <laughs> Show first and then kind of poke at some of the things that I wanted to talk to you about.
1: Okay, poke me.
0: I feel like <laughs> when I when I put it that way, it, it sounds like you're in trouble. Like, all right, I'm gonna talk to you about some I don't, stuff. I don't there's probably something that
1: you could probably get me in trouble about, but I doubt
0: Alright, well, welcome to Between the Soup. It's the show where friends become closer friends. The show where Kyle drives a bazillion miles to come and chill with your boy. Uh the show where I basically talk to people I already know about an experience that is unique to them. I'm not on Twitter, but you can follow the podcast Instagram at betweentheSoup.pod where I'll post updates on episodes and behind the scenes content. I'm your host, Gilbert, and today our guest is prior marine and current software engineering student Kyle Kolomachuk. Kyle is one of the first people I met at my unit going into the Marine Corps reserves and has been a great friend all throughout my time in the military uh while he was in the marine corps kyle worked as a motor transportation mechanic fixing issues on a number of vehicles like humvee humvees and seven tons uh, i don't know the actual nomenclature of those so don't don't ask me uh it's probably the same thing isn't it? yeah we call them
1: humvees and seven tons <laughs> <so>. <laughs>
0: uh kyle has also had the unique opportunity to not only work for starbucks as a barista but also as a corporate software engineering intern Uh, He's expected to graduate from Arizona State University with a degree in software engineering come spring 2022. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. He's a standout guy, a good main tank on Overwatch, and has an ass that would make Pixar animators proud. (laughs) Kyle, Kyle, thanks for driving down. Welcome to Between the Soup. I saw you take a sip of that. I was was like,
2: like, like,
1: (laughs) Good timing. That was a perfect timing. Uh i just wish that like you know obviously my ass is like a topic amongst everyone my, everyone and and i wish there was something i could say to refute like being a pixar mom but like <laughs> it, it, we're we are born with unfortunate truths i don't think that's a it's a bad problem to have that's also what i hear but i'm also the one with it so like i don't know <laughs> I don't, yes i feel like if uh
0: if somebody is teasing
1: you about it. it's like it's probably because they're envious yeah they're so oh. jealous yeah they want to be a juicy pixar mom too <laughs> what's up with pixar why do they do that they want that dump
0: truck uh i don't know i don't know it's uh it's i like how that's kind of become a meme like the types of ass that you can have and pixar is one of them <laughs> like <laughs> damn you already got a pixar ass true I yeah i mean there's all sorts of ways to describe it too what's the
1: what's the highest compliment do you think uh
0: for for ass all all the different kinds of ass um that's a that's a tough one because i mean there's a lot of food food ones that are out there so you got like your your onion ass it's Uh it can make you cry (laughs) uh what else Mm -hmm. uh you got the the avocado booty um is a good kind of fat
2: Mm. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> low in cholesterol. Uh, what else? Uh, there's, there's like you could have a, you could have a cottage cheese
1: ass, but you, no one wants that. Uh, yeah, it's like well, all,
0: it's all bumpy and. <laughs> well,
1: okay, but to be fair, like there's, there's a certain amount of that that's natural, you know.
0: Yeah, and then I'm just over here with swamp ass, so it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that comes,
1: that comes with the Arizona part. Unfortunately.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, like literally everywhere you go mm. or everywhere you don't go,
1: it's just. just Scary you. you're gonna find Shrek. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Okay. So, um, you could probably guess like from the email I sent out that I was going to ask you a lot of questions about, um, your, basically your thoughts on the Marine Corps, uh, and sort of your journey into software engineering. Um, so, because I feel like you and I sort of share the same outlook on like the impact that the reserves had for you. So I guess just to start off, what, I mean, I'm sure I've asked you this before too, but what made you want to join in the first
1: place? Well, um, I feel like there's a few different like, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was dumb. No. The, I, you know, so I grew up, I moved around a lot, right? Mm-hmm. My dad was in the Air Force, um, came from kind of like a military background and, um, I originally... Intended on joining the air force, like I did air force ROTC in college, um, mm-hmm. and then when I had failed at studying aerospace engineering and dropped out of college, uh, I went to go enlist, and um, the air force kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, and, and I was like, not gonna do that, mm-hmm. and I and I had heard that the marine corps was like, the hardest. Um, you know, like I was a, I was an accomplished athlete in high school, and then you know, doing ROTC in in college, I was pretty physically fit, and just who I am, like, like don't really, I I like to choose hard things. If I had <laughs> the choice between like a like a two two things that are going to be like equally good for me, or like like with indiscernible differences between their value, mm-hmm. and one's easier and one's harder, like I'll generally pick the harder one. Yeah. Um, or maybe even harder is not the,
0: the right word but per- perhaps more challenging.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It takes
0: you know, more challenging
1: because it's harder. Takes the mo- takes the most amount of effort. Um But yeah, so I mean, so there's that aspect of it where like the Marines was the thing I joined specifically because I heard it was hard, but the reason I joined in general was because I needed to get out of Tucson. You know, like I was like massively depressed, had just dropped out of school, mm-hmm. moved across the country n- into my grandparents' house, had no friends. And I was like, well, fuck, like <laughs> I gotta yeah. go. Yeah. You know? So uh, yeah, so enlisted in the Marines. Yeah, I mean like that's that's pretty much why how, I joined. How old were you when you when you, Oh, I was, I was ancient compared to everybody else in boot camp. I was 19. I had a full <laughs> year compared to everybody else. I mean, I was 19, too. Yeah. Uh,
0: it's crazy, because when I, when I went to MCT, I, I, by the time I got there, I was 24.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and there were kids there that were six, 17. And I was just like, you're fucking 17. you're like, yeah, my mom had to sign a waiver for me to be there. And
2: I was
1: like, how the fuck? I feel like the advantage of being 17 and in the Marine Corps already is that... You will just like continue to fuck up your life until you're 21, which is about when you should stop fucking up your life anyway. Like mm-hmm. 21, 23, like that's about when you should start like building, I guess. Yeah. And so you get out of the Marine Corps and have a GI Bill and 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 those kinds of things. Yeah, that's a really good point, and I never, I've never thought about that. But I mean, um, you also have to like contend with like the increased amount of like mental illness and, and <laughs> so, I yeah. Don't know. It's I was mixed th- bag. I was thinking that you were gonna go with
0: the. Uh, on the, on the side of, like, if you if you join the Marine Corps when you're 17, that's already a huge accomplishment um, to have on, like, your resume. Like, as a, you're basically still a child, and you have something that just has so much weight
1: to it. Jeez. Uh, yeah, you're <laughs> still a child. I, you, do you remember being 21 and feeling like, like oh, man, I'm so much older. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so grown up. And especially, like, looking at, like, you know, 18, 19-year-olds, like, especially in the Marine Corps, you're like, wow, I'm way fucking more mature than that guy
0: yeah oh yeah absolutely what the fuck (laughs) it's yeah it's super it's really weird and like i said for the being an mct like as like an older person like you kind of take you're able to take a step back and like actually see like what sort of phase of like life and and the marines that these people are in and most of them like are still like in that in that mindset of like i'm i'm a I'm still like a high school kid. I can
1: still fuck around. I, right. I don't have any.
0: There's no consequences for my actions. Well,
1: and plus, being 24 in MCT, you can wipe your own ass at that right. point. So, huge advantage.
0: Yeah, and you can tell too. Like all the all the people that were more mature and like hardworking and better leaders were older. Yeah. Um, there. I mean, there were some like that were younger that were like, you know, pretty determined and like straight edge, and they like wanted actually improve, which is great. Um, but the vast majority who were younger were just like dick around and like right not well not care. And you like, also had the
1: advantage of like undeniably having some poor leadership experience under your belt. Like not you as well, maybe you as a leader, but more more specifically having followed some pretty not stellar leaders in your time in the reserves going into MCT. So you already knew like how to treat people like 17 year olds or 18 year olds who like don't know left from right essentially Mm -hmm. don't know anything about the marine corps and so you can like even if you're not actively leading these guys not implying that you weren't but like Mm -hmm. like you're not like maybe not putting energy into leading them but just like treating them well and like you know they do have like this like way of looking at you and
0: yeah i would actually i would completely agree with that um Especially because, like, I mean, I'm as a person, I'm not very, I guess, um, I, like aggressive, um, which a lot of leaders in the Marine Corps are. And but for me, I could tell like whenever I made myself available, like as a source of, of either knowledge or support in whatever way to to these younger Marines, they they took to it really really well. Yeah. Um, because they already had instructors that were breathing down their necks and 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 yelling at them for being stupid oh man an nco that's not like on my ass and
1: making me feel bad about myself
0: yeah i mean since i was around them all the time too they felt like they could actually come to me for for shit that they had questions about or that was on their mind but there's still like that level of respect to where like they knew that i was like the authority
1: figure and so they would do whatever i told them to
0: right
1: which was but it's like an earned respect rather than a like commanded respect.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Exactly, um, and I think I think that goes a long way in making like an an impression on on these people as well. Because I think on
1: anybody really.
0: Yeah, you know, for someone who is going into MCT, everybody around you is is either PFC or private, right. and so having a another classmate who's an NCO is like that's not really heard of. And you're going to remember that. So you're either going to remember, okay, was this NCO just a shitbag or did I actually like look up to him and learn something from him yeah. or her, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I know it was really, really interesting experience. And it, I like that you brought up too that like, you, you know, having sort of uh, shitty leaders was also uh, could be a, a point of influence too, because I think I think that's totally correct. Like you see how other people lead or how other people are like lazy to treat their their own marines and it's just like i don't want to be anything like that because it makes me feel like
1: shit it makes me not respect you in the first place so you know what's you know what actually interests me about that Mm -hmm. i'm 28 Mm -hmm. right and i look back fuck i know (laughs) I'm, i'm i'm a boomer and and i look back on I mean, I don't think I really started getting a handle on things until maybe 25 or 26, Mm. you know? I feel the same way. Right. I mean, like, and statistically speaking, or I guess medically, like, that's when your frontal lobe, like, that's when it's fully developed, right? So Mm. your higher thinking starts taking over, you start seeing the larger patterns and, and doing the things, right? But we, like, when, you know, when I attached to the unit, I was, what was I, 20? Mm -hmm. And I was being led by, you know, sergeants or whatever who were 23 or 24. Mm -hmm. And so, like, in my head, like, I'm like, wow, those guys had no clue how to lead. Like, those guys were idiots. Mm -hmm. But, like, 28-year-old me knows that 23 or 24-year-old me was also an idiot. Yeah. You know? Like, would not have done much better. Like, maybe done some things differently. Uh Uh-huh. But definitely not have done things, like, immaculately. You know, like, yeah. I think I can count on one hand the amount of, like, great leaders I encountered in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would have been one of them, like, at like at that age, I guess.
0: Yeah, that, yeah that's a that's an interesting point, too, because, like, I remember, like, being younger and, and, like, even going to MOS school and seeing, like, the instructors who were, like, 23 or 24. And me thinking, like, they were, they seemed just way older or, like, way more competent. But then, like, you actually sort of grow up, like... Literally, and in the Marine Corps, and then you see, like, not all of them are as
1: immaculate as you make them out to be in your head. Do you remember, um, geez, Staff Gunny, Warrant Officer Diaz? Like, yeah, I remember him. <laughs> great, great leader, right? Yeah. I count him on, like, the one hand, right? Yeah. Like, that's, like, that's, like, one of the great leaders. Um, he told us one time, I, I, I have a shitty memory, so the fact that this stands out is, like, significant to me, but, mm-hmm. like, he told us that, you know, he the way that he learned how to lead was like he would just go through his Marine Corps experience and when he had a shitty leader, he would identify what, what he didn't like about the way that they led and uh-huh. he would not lead that way. Mm-hmm. And he would find the leaders that had you know, the things that he likes mm-hmm. and he would figure out how they led and he would do those things. And so, you know, you end up um, I don't know, 10, 12, however many years he's been in later. And he's like It's longer than that, but I'm pretty sure. I'm I'm trying to be nice just in case he <laughs> listens to this. <laughs> Sir, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, but like you know, he's got he's got these great leadership qualities that he's like kind of amassed. And and I guess that's that's like the crux of it, you know, like yeah you, you learn what you don't like and you learn what you do like and you try to emulate Mm -hmm. So, and it's uh, it's sort
0: of meta in a way that we've we're talking. You mentioned that that stands out to you, and then we're talking about like, oh, that's a that's a leadership quality or something that he did that stood out. So that's kind of like the same thing that you know, like I said, I was doing like that made an impression on you for him as a leader, and I wanted to do kind of the same thing to make an impression on younger Marines
1: too. Right. And so, well, and also you probably did. You had this cool lens of like knowing exactly how like moldable Shivers. their brains are yeah like yeah I what i do here is going to be that thing that they look back at and they're like this ancient dude when i was an ML, uh, mct yeah you know, like it led this way so now i'm gonna lead this way yeah
0: that's true okay so can you can you also go into i guess uh <laughs> into any sort of detail about um your experience in the reserves like kind of what the day-to-day is for whenever we actually did have training or common points of frustration or just
1: sort of what what that whole experience was like um, yeah i mean honestly i feel like my experience was like a lot less frustrating than most other people's mm-hmm. like strictly due to like the physical proximity to the unit right oh yeah like, you think about <laughs> yeah. like all the out-of-town phoenix globe whatever marines who had to like Drive to Tucson, check into this hotel on base, and have like some sort of stupid curfew. Yeah. When the people who are in town don't have to follow any of those rules. Mm -hmm. And then also, on top of that, you know, I live like a six minute walk from the unit. Mm -hmm. So, like, (laughs) you know, uh, being able to like not wake up hella early, not drive really far, like that, I always appreciated. Even at the times I was at the most miserable, I was like, well, I didn't drive, you know, three hours this morning to get here, or I didn't drive three hours last night and get in late, mm-hmm. or I don't have a curfew tonight, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, which isn't to say that my time in the Marines wasn't, like, you know, miserable, because there were definitely aspects of it that were, I guess, I guess really the day-to-day, if I, if I could describe it, it would be show up hella early, um, stand around for, like, an hour and a half, uh, until you, like literally until your feet hurt, your back hurts, and then start your day, start going to work, you know, like, <laughs> like go do the physical things after you're already in pain. Yeah. Um, and you know, oftentimes it was hot out. This is Tucson, Arizona, and I was a, I was a motor team mechanic, so it's not like I it's not like I was an H E operator that got to sit in the A C or anything like mm-hmm. that. You know, and so or just have fun. Yeah, shit. or just have fun. You know, just like <laughs> <laughs> could've left it there. No, that I I do love problem solving and I like uh I like being able to like fix things. So Motor Team Mech was definitely like a good thing for me. But um you know, as as I started to, to get out of like the junior levels and like into like well I don't wanna say senior levels because like, you know, I was a five year Lance corporal. Uh mm. but like as, you know, as a Lance Corporal leading the less experienced Marines, less experienced mechanics, they'd be like, Oh, you know, make sure they keep up on their training. And, and you have to like, every month we have to certify them on like 40 different, like stupid skills, like rethreading bolts or like soldering a wire or, and it's like keeping up on all of that while also trying to keep up, you know, the 12 vehicles we had or whatever, Mm -hmm. who, and those vehicles just like sit around and collect problems we like run them two or three days a month
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and so they're just like broken they sit there they rot and it, it so it was challenging it was always challenging to try to like balance all the priorities and feel like I was succeeding mm-hmm. and then you get to the end of your day no one's happy with you because not everything they wanted to do is done because they give you this massive list and they expect it all to get done regardless of what is realistic I guess but you know you get to the end of your day, you get a formation, stand around for another hour. Hopefully it's not promotions, otherwise you're kind of screwed. And then, you know, maybe go hang out with your Marines. I,
0: I love the, the memes, too, that are like, when First Sergeant is illiterate and he's <laughs>
1: trying to why, read the why promotion is, Why is there no First Sergeant who knows how to read?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, that, that's pretty interesting. I forgot to ask you this, too, but how did you end up picking uh, being a motor team mech?
1: that's a great question actually there's like a a kind of a story behind that okay um i (laughs) (laughs) content (laughs) i uh i was originally signed up to i don't remember what mos i originally signed up for but my recruiter called me like i wanted to get out of tucson like asap and so my recruiter called me and he was like hey we have this other guy whose number got called so he's going to meps but we're not super confident that he's going to pass the physical, so do you want to ship with him just in case, and then you'll be a backup shipper. Okay, I was going to say ship or shit. No, I I don't want to ship with him. So I was like, like I can just leave? And he was like, yeah. So I was like, okay. So I went. That guy was slated to be a bulk fueler, which meant that if I shipped for him, I was going to be a bulk fueler. So lo and behold, he can't do three pull-ups, so they don't ship him. And... I took, we, like, the process with MEPS, you show up, do some basic, like, checking in or whatever, and then take the ASVAB, and, like, I scored decently on the ASVAB, like, more than, you know, I guess, uh, like, bulk fueler doesn't have that high of a requirement, Mm -hmm. right?
0: So, just, just for listeners, the ASVAB is, like, the... Advanced. It's a it's an aptitude test. It's an aptitude there test. There you go. That's that's what
1: it was. So the ASVAB is an aptitude test that basically <laughs> there's <laughs> there's irony in the fact that we're Marines we don't know <laughs> yeah. what the fuck that means. Man, yeah, I'm sorry, we're not dumb. I promise.
0: Um. So essentially, all that all that means is like it, you take this test that basically scores you on a on a scale from zero to one hundred. One hundred obviously being the highest, and the higher that your score is on the ASVAB, the the more, I guess, weight you're able to, to go out and say like, oh, I want, I want a job within like, something that's more complicated, like intelligence, uh, versus, um, a lower scoring ASVAB, which would be something like, that's just way more manual labor. So bulk fuel, uh, infantry, stuff like that. The, I think the cutoff for the Marine Corps is like a, a score of 30 or maybe even 40 on the ASVAB.
2: Yeah.
1: So, like, to qualify to be in... Those are good. Yeah, I'm liking it. To qualify to, like, be in counterintelligence or something, you need something like a... I think the highest requirement for a job is 85. Yeah. I think after that, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, and, and so I took the ASVAB and then went about my day, did all my medical checks and whatnot, got cleared for everything. And then I was, like, going up in an elevator between floors to go register for something new. And, like, this captain got on the elevator, and he was like, I'm not, I'm trying to avoid saying the number I got on my ASVAB. I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, Like, but but quoting this guy, he was like, hey, you're the motherfucker that got the 98 on the ASVAB, right? And I was like, yes. And like I was like, I'm not even enlisted yet. How did I already get in trouble? And he was like, come to my office. So I was like, okay. So I showed up at his office, and, and, and he was like, you need to go to college, and I was like, I just came from college. I'm not. I didn't have a good time. I don't want to go to college. And he was like, Do you try Navy, Navy ROTC? Like, get a scholarship? I was like, Dude, I tried ROTC. Nobody actually gave me any scholarships, just like a lot of people saying they would, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like super bitter about it. And he was like, Well, okay. You sure you want to enlist? And I was like, Yes. And he was like, All right. Well, at the very least, we're changing your job because you're you're not going to be a bulk fueler. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Okay. So he went in and changed my job to motor t-mec and you know it took me exactly like one drill at the unit to realize that dude did me a solid yeah like a real hard one like i would have hated my life if i were a bulk fueler
0: yeah so. for our listeners as well um if you're a bulk fuel marine um it, it's a it's a necessary job but essentially you yeah, you basically pump vehicles with fuel and and build different structures to house
1: that fuel. It's a very manual, labor intensive. Yeah, and also very young MOS. Like as far as leadership goes, like they promote fast and people get out early. Mm-hmm. So,
0: uh, okay, yeah. I mean, I, I think you have told me about that that story with the the captain and, and picking out your MOS and like I. I keep saying that, like, I think you and I have, like, the same sort of user, like, experience because I was c- kind of in a similar situation where I didn't score a 98. I scored, like, a 92. Um, Dumbass. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. And the, I remember the the dude that I, like, that was moderating said it was a really good score. You could have any job that you want. Right. And then when I got back to my recruiter and he saw my score, he laughed at me because he was just like, this is, like, such a waste. Like, you, you have the option between... H.E. or bulk fuel, uh, just because it's the only two that are available. And then when I picked, also I was uh, I I didn't know like what what the difference were between the two. They just said I had those those options, and I was I just I went with uh, H.E. uh, equipment engineer because it sounded cooler. And, right. and that was still like such a good decision on its own too uh, uh,
1: like a huge difference in your quality of life because uh-huh. you did not know the difference between those choices, yep, I didn't give a shit if I was bulk fuel or not, like I wanted to get out mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so like such a such a huge difference, and we didn't know mm-hmm
0: in terms of like the day to day when you're actually in the reserves, and I forgot to to mention this earlier for for listeners who aren't really um knowledgeable in this sort of subject but essentially the the difference between going active duty or Reserves in the military is that for the reserves You essentially go through all of your bigger training like boot camp or MOS school where you train to do whatever job That you're assigned to as well as combat training and then you're assigned to your unit um, But you're only going to your unit one week in a month and two weeks during the summer or during the year, I guess um, and that's the extent of your of your contract. You can you have the option to deploy if that opportunity is available, or if um, shit pops off and uh, they need your unit to activate. Um, but that's uh, that's essentially it. So all of this experience that we're describing is related to mostly like the the one week in a month to two weeks out of the year, mm-hmm. um, and. So with that too, um, I guess what was your what was your own personal view of like being a, a reservist because for for people in the military it's I feel like civilians will will see it as like a, okay, you're still in the reserves and I, I feel like most military members would uh, would view also like okay, you're still a marine, you're still in the in the military but there's still like a a sort of vibe even within reservists that you're like lesser or what you're doing is sort of pointless. Was
1: that kind of how you felt as well? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's always I guess the the I mean, like even in boot camp, um, you know, my they were handing out duty assignments or what have you. And my drill instructor realized that like all the squad leaders and the guide were all reservists and he was like why the fuck do I always pick reservists for my leadership? Like, such a fucking waste. And it's like, you know, that... I mean, obviously, you know, the, you don't... I Like, I just, you know, put a shit ton of effort and energy into being a leader in boot camp where I'm already, like, miserable. Mm-hmm. Sort of, like, hear that, and it's like, what about it? this is a waste? Um, yeah, I mean, we, there is always that, that idea... Like both in active duty and the reserves, I think, of like, we're only here two days a month. We're not real Marines or mm. what have you. But I think it's I think it's a it's a pretty mixed bag. I've heard active duty people who say you know like, I fucking hate reserves. Y'all are unprofessional. Like you don't know your fucking jobs. You know you're dangerous to have it on a deployment. And then I hear active duty who are like, well. You know, I thought I hated reserves, but then we deployed with some people from the reserves like individual augments or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so like one or two people who joined our unit and and they didn't, you know, maybe if their skills were lacking, but they picked it up super quick and were amazing, you mm-hmm. know. So I, I, I guess, I guess, you know, the opinions that are passed along seem to be as diverse as, you know, one would expect from any population. Mm. Um, but, you know, there is, like, a like a piece of pride about it where it's like, you know, we laugh, we say semper sometimes, you know, <laughs> and and it's funny, right? Yeah. And at the same time, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's conflicting. It's a little bit conflicting. Mm-hmm. You know, people thank me for my service, and it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I, uh, I woke up, you know, a few hours early, like, two days out of the month, mm-hmm. so you're fucking welcome, I guess. Yeah. I yeah. guess. so that that was
0: something else i was gonna I was really curious about too, because even though I feel like just uh in general the vibe is with with people in the reserves who don't deploy um and kind of just ride that out um like since you don't feel particularly like you've done anything regardless of that fact you're still there's still something that you personally can get out of having been in the marine corps going through the training going through everything that it is that you went through. And that in itself has some sort of payoff. So what, what was that like for you? Um, so what essentially did you, did you get out of this experience that made it worth it?
1: Yeah, um, well, first off, I mean, my opinion of this has like swung back and forth over the course of my Marine Corps career, but then also like the past, I don't know, how long have I been out? three years three years something for like that yeah. fuck you old <laughs> uh, t- shut up <laughs> um, the uh, I don't know my opinion is that that it's been worth it and the reasons why are like I have those bonds and those friendships that are going to just last a lifetime and I've actually talked about this a lot like to anybody who would listen really like the bonds that are formed in that kind of environment like I don't care if it's you know, in boot camp or somewhere else or at our unit or in 29 Palms, like that, that, like, holy fuck, this is miserable, but we're still gonna, like, we're gonna have, we're gonna laugh about it, like, we're gonna bond over it. You're gonna, like, I'm gonna tell you my, you know, personal things, you're gonna tell me yours, and we're, there's not judgment, like, we're just gonna know each other. Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of bond is definitely, like, irreplaceable. Like, you can't, it's invalu- invaluable. Both. You know? you, uh, yeah. Both. What? You can't val. Yeah. You can't put a. You can't put a, like any sort of metric on that. Mm-hmm. There are two times I've driv- driven to Phoenix, for any reason, mm-hmm. uh, other than the airport, <laughs> and both of those reasons were Marines. You mm-hmm. know, present company. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The friendships I guess have have been super worth it, and then also like at the beginning. Or even, like, in the, only in the last year has, like, the resume bullet point thing really come in handy. Mm-hmm. But it is actually, like, pretty handy. Um, and I've actually found myself, like, I able to identify with people who have been in the military. Um, and in my last internship, I actually encountered someone who was in not the United States military, but I immediately recognized him as military. Mm. And so we were able to, like, bond, and he was able to, like, super, like, let down his walls or whatever and we were able to like connect on that level and it's just like this like unspoken like different thing Mm -hmm. you know like it's not something that you can quantify but you know in your personal interactions it's just like something that's there, something that like helps everything else along and i guess the reason i kind of phrase it like that this guy's like able to hire you know (laughs) (laughs) so i mean like professionally speaking yeah a good connection to have Uh
0: uh-huh In in terms of like um, your own personal values or viewpoints of the world, how did how did being in the Marines affect like your your worldview or like your own work ethic or something like that?
1: Yeah, I uh, I always had like kind of like a hard work ethic, and so that kind of like went hand in hand with the Marine Corps. But obviously, like every Marine, when I first joined, it was like run and gun. Like I want to go. You know, defend America and and the Constitution, and I took that oath, and I cried, and you know, did the crucible, and now I'm ready to go fight enemies across the ocean, foreign and domestic, foreign and domestic, yeah, I, yeah, foreign and domestic, like you know, put a gun in my hand, like I'm not not going to question. I guess you know, like you know, mm. the way that they like mold your brain to follow. Mm. But then over the course of the six years that I was in the active reserves, I mean, like, you know, I started encountering, like, different systems, different ways of thinking and growing and maturing in my own right. And it's like, is going going somewhere and shooting somebody the best way to go about being of service to your country? Being of service to my country. I think in a lot of instances that answer is no. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, I mean, like, the way I was raised was to think that the answer was yes, mm-hmm. and so the that sort of change of shape um, came. I don't know. It was super weird because it, it like it when when I developed my like sense of empathy, when I like really came around to consider like not just myself and not just what I was taught, but like start like reaching out past that and like consider you know maybe the maybe the experience of the Marines beneath me is more important than you know, the the results of that I'm delivering. And I don't mean to say, like, more important... Hmm, how do I phrase this? The mental and emotional well-being of my Marines would always take precedence over whatever task came down, I guess. You know, maybe if we deployed and there was a mission that had to take place that needed to, to be accomplished, you know, then, then that would be sacrificed. But, you know, I, I had... I had Marines calling me in the middle of the night, like, crying dealing with things. hmm And it's like, I'm not... Like, as a senior Marine, I'm trusted with this person's well-being. Like, it's literally in the NCO creed to take responsibility for the well-being of your Marines. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and so that's not something, like, I ever, like, took lightly. I guess that shift towards empathy and, and, and the shift away from, like, cog in the machine... Mm-hmm really also manifested itself in like not just uh like oh why are we fighting our current war or like maybe I don't want to deploy anymore but it also manifested in I'm going to take care of the marines under me like even even if they have these opinions that I don't have mm-hmm. like like I'm going to make sure that their well-being is taken care of first right.
0: for me I guess it was like I do think that the resume thing is huge but I, I think about that less or in terms of like how like if the Marine Corps was worth it or how it changed me because when I, I think about like just how I am as a person from my day-to-day and I think the biggest impact that it had on me that I tell people sometimes is that it sort of changed the way that I appreciate all of the the freedoms and like the stuff that I would normally take for granted and also has helped me sort of recognize the thing that actually matter in life so uh, you know i i will hear people complain about like really little things that don't necessarily matter in the long run or or like be concerned about things that don't have like a a super hard impact in their life so i i find myself asking like okay are you in any personal danger or are you in are is your well-being not Well, if you're not in any personal danger or you're not in any sort of serious harm, if the answer is no, then you're probably going to be okay. If your people that you care about aren't in any serious danger, they're not dying, they're not in any serious harm, if the answer to that is no too, then they're probably going to be okay. And really, I I have a hard time finding anything else that that would actually matter if it came down to like uh even if this place burned down and i lost everything like i'm still alive i still have people that care about me i still am able to go forward with my life um so why would i ever care about little things that don't that don't actually matter
1: to to me so so your your definition of things that matter to you has like shifted so there's like i guess like i've heard about this pyramid Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There you go. Yeah.
0: That's like one of my favorite, probably my the favorite theory
1: of mine uh, within psychology. Yeah. So you would like draw the line pretty low, then like I th- like I have food and shelter and people and people and that's all and I need. I'm good.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think right, realistically, yeah. I you could. I think it's a little bit different in the, in the way that I'm sort of depicting it because I, f- I feel like even, uh, well, I guess maybe not. <laughs> Cause yeah, I, I am talking about like personal like health and, and safety. And then like this, the health and safety of people that I care about. And then there's really nothing else that, that particularly matters. So like nothing that's like material or even like, uh, you could say like losing a job or, um, I don't know, not having a lot of money or something like that, where that would, something that would cause people like a lot of, a lot of stress for, yeah. I mean, for good reason, but at the end of the day, like you're, you're going to be okay. You can always get more money, find a different place to live, um, get a different job, but the, you can't replace yourself. Like you can't replace your life and you can't replace somebody else's life either. Um,
1: yeah, I feel like there's there's a lot to that. I feel like a lot of it also comes from like security and self. Like, you know that... Like, you are assured that you're Gilbert, mm-hmm. right? And so everything else that happens to you is not going to change who you are. Yeah. And so, like, you can be your consistent self all the way through. And I know that that sounds to you basic but I think that that's like not something a lot of people know
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so like sort of my lens on it I guess is that you know I also had that that lens of like nobody's shooting at you what the fuck are you crying about mm-hmm. but then I gained a lot of self-awareness and in me the way that that was is like I wasn't raised very Mm self-aware and and so like gaining that self-awareness I was like oh shit (laughs) oh fuck (laughs) all these things are happening to me but but then you know went to therapy and then after that it was like wait no like I'm still gonna be myself like things can happen to me without changing me and and so having that security in self is very important and so I mean like that's what I'm hearing you, that's what I'm hearing you talk about, yeah, like that like i'm I have my my loved ones and they love me, like my needs are being met that way, physically, mm-hmm. my needs are being met, so like what else is important? nothing right yeah, like as long as I have those things, I'm gonna be okay, and that's like I think that's a really good, good place to come from, Mm-hmm. but also not a place that a lot of people can come from,
0: yeah, um. I think about that in terms of like like if you are in like a rough place or you are stressing out about something, it's kind of like Hakuna Matata. <laughs> no. uh, but so like if you are really down and, and but you think about like all the all the good things in life that you still have, to me those are the ones that matter the most. But like if you're trying to you know build on your life and flourish a little bit more, then you do, I feel like you do need to keep all of those levels into account yeah. of the of the hierarchy. Yeah. And the the reason why that's like probably my favorite like theory or whatever for from psychology is because I think it's just like the not I don't think that it's like, you know, like gospel or anything. I just think it's like such a good guideline for like reflecting on your own life and figuring out what's deficient, what's not or what you need to improve on. My understanding of it too, at least when I when I examine my own life with it is like I feel like a lot of people are under the assumption, like, for Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Like, if you if you have one need satisfied, then it's like, okay, yep, you're done, you don't need to worry about it anymore, it's all good, you move on to the next one, or the fact that you can't move on to the next one unless the, the prior needs have been met, and it's not really like that at all. You're kind of just jumping back and forth between levels, like, sort of like a balloon that you're pumping up like you you want to keep you know making sure that you're you're fed and you like you you have shelter and um you're seeing people but like some of those levels might be on the wayside and that's kind of like where the self-reflection comes in and like okay i haven't done anything creative in a while that doesn't make me feel like accomplished or like fulfilled in a self-actualizing way so maybe i need to put in a little bit more time with that or i haven't seen friends that i haven't like in a while right that i really want to maybe i'll I'll set aside more time to to hang out with them because it it's it's just important to me maybe i'll drive to phoenix
1: who knows yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i think that's i think that's a good a good outlook Mm -hmm. pretty healthy um so another
0: another thing that i think about um kind of regularly is like even though Um, You may or may not have felt like you did anything in the in the reserves Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that like you uh, Like the value that came out of it was for nothing So I think about like how like yeah You're not going overseas and, and killing people or doing humanitarian work or anything else that you that the Marines are advertised to do But you are also in a sense being a sort of a better American citizen so, yeah transitioning to your your normal life how how do you feel like having been in the marines has like affected either your work or how you interact with people or or even how they uh
1: interact with you or view you yeah um i'll start I'll start from me viewing other people i guess mm-hmm. um, I mean that was definitely like a process like I went from Well, actually, so, uh, when I, let's see, I joined in 2012, I joined in 2012 and then, uh, started working at Starbucks in 2015 and anybody who knows the Marine Corps and also knows Starbucks knows that that's like an incredibly aggressive organization to like changing to like a very opposite of that. I don't know. Progressive, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I I I was a shift supervisor at Starbucks expecting people to respect me and do what I told them because I was a shift supervisor at Starbucks. Yeah, you know. And that doesn't work on like 17, 18, 19-year-olds who don't give a shit and work 20 hours a week, you mm-hmm. know. Like, you know, they're just a barista. They're here to to sling caffeine, right? And do you have that on like your LinkedIn profile, like caffeine <laughs> singer No, <laughs> definitely not. But I feel like that Marine Corps lens was something I had to, again, like talking about the, the journey with empathy, like learn to reshape. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's no longer like I have authority because of where I'm at, and it's more like, you know, I'm interested in my followers' well beings, and so I'm going to look after that and and by me looking after my my followers they're going to you know allow me to lead and and sort of like validate my leadership Mm. right and so like that transition was really hard to make actually like i i just summed it up in like i don't know four sentences but that took like three years you know like that that took a long time um and it took a lot of baristas hating my guts i'm sure there are still people out there to this day who hate my guts you know Mm -hmm. because of how i treated them at starbucks um but it, it was a part of a part of my leadership journey, you know. So like I'm not not proud of it, but mm-hmm. it was definitely something I was able to learn from.
0: Was it was being in the in the military something that you would normally advertise to people that you worked with, or even people that you met like in your let's say in, like a social setting? Um,
1: so actually, Starbucks will give you like an apron that says you know Marine Corps on it. Oh, it's like of an cool. American flag. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, just for Marines. No, I'm just kidding. For for, for all the branches. But even, actually, uh, spouses. So, I mean, like, Starbucks is very, like, pro-veteran. Mm-hmm. Um. So, I mean, it was always, like, out there that, that I had served in the Marine Corps Reserves. And then also, I mean, like, people could take a look at me. Like, you know, when I was actively in the Reserves, I had a, a high and tight, essentially. Um... And, you know, we just, like, sort of talk. We, I was definitely thinner. And we, like, talk a certain way, you know? Okay. Yeah. So it was always, like, out there. But, yeah, so making that transition was, was definitely something. But then, like, also speaking from, like, a the way that other people viewed me side, I guess that kind of goes hand in hand. Like, I've had, even recently, like, people coming up to me and being like, hey, what do you think of Afghanistan? Or, like, during the elections, like, like, talking to me about snowflakes and stuff like like I, I am wearing an apron with an American flag on it. It says Marine Corps like mm-hmm. don't assume that I don't have empathy mm-hmm. like why, why do you look at me and think that I'm going to be anti-vaccine yeah I, I feel like it does definitely lens the way that people look at me mm-hmm. um, and, and the way that people treat me and on the one hand, you know, I don't want them to label me a certain way. But on the other hand, I feel like I get a lot of honest communication from people in mm-hmm. that way. And it sort of like keeps me in touch with the way that society is. Um, like some people, honestly, like some people, let's, you know, I, I have LGBTQ plus team members. see marine on my apron and think this guy's gonna like hate me I can't be myself around this guy and you know they're pleasantly surprised when they find out that they can just be themselves Mm -hmm. you know Um, so I mean like I think it works both ways like there are positives and negatives to it Mm -hmm. the way that people perceive me Um, but ultimately it's like really just like a the way i look at it is like it's kind of like an object lesson and like don't judge anybody like don't don't yeah. like try your best to not apply your biases to other people
0: mm-hmm. like i guess yeah it seems like a, that would be harder for you to do if you have just sort of like this badge that is advertising it to to people that you interact with even if you don't wouldn't normally be like oh hey yeah i'm in i'm a marine like blah 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 uh, yeah so that, that's uh that's kind of interesting i wonder if uh like, if you meet somebody new, if you if you hid that from people, you'd be treated differently. I'm sure the answer would be yeah. Yeah, probably.
1: I mean, like, I can definitely look back on it and, like, like I mean, I could ask people who know me today, like, even at Starbucks, like, people who just know me. People who know me, they're like, oh, I, you know, if they met me while I was in the Marine Corps, they're like, oh, I assumed these things about you. Uh-huh. And I'm, you know, they just weren't true. hmm Like, it happens all the time. Yeah. Literally all the time.
0: Yeah. That's uh, a... That- so the whole reason why I, I asked that question is because I get sort of that same reaction too. I don't typically ever advertise that I I'm a marine and I went I was in the Marine Corps for, for eight years and for it really is a, a double-edged sword because people generally hold just the the typical stereotypes that you have of Marines, namely that they're you know they're stupid, they're ultra conservative that, that kind of stuff. Like most of the stuff is in a negative light, unless, um, unless you know other like military people. And then they're like, okay, that means you're, you're hardworking and you have discipline or right. you have leadership experience, stuff like that. And which I find like kind of unfortunate. And it's also something that I feel like is just like an area improvement for the, for the Marine Corps as a, as a whole, I think in, in terms of, In terms of being able to, you know, fight America's wars, I I feel the utmost confidence that, you know, the Marine Corps can accomplish that. Uh, But at the same time, managing like the image of Marines for for those individuals like in America is, I think, something that could that could definitely be improved on, especially in a in a professional sense, because there are tons of Marines, or not even just Marines, but tons of. prior service members that I know coming into the civilian world and you can clearly see that they were in the in the military but that's like their whole identity that's like all they talk about all the experience that they talk about but it doesn't really reflect them in a positive way because of what we were just just talking about because they hold the stereotypes of not being um not being super intelligent or being too vulgar in a professional setting or just being flat out rude to to people when you shouldn't. I don't know, there just seems to be like a really weird disconnect that I wish wasn't there because end of the day, I am really proud to be a Marine and I wish I I could tell people that more. Uh, But at the same time, I know that not advertising it and not just going outwardly and saying like, oh yeah, I was in the military, like worship me. That has definitely served me a lot of benefit.
1: Yeah there's definitely like a middle ground it's Mm -hmm. like yeah i was in the marines and if you get to know me you know you'll figure that out but also i'm not going to like yeah straight up it's
0: also i also kind of do it it, (laughs) because it's kind of cool to like um to kind of just like throw that in there if you've known someone for a long time that didn't know that detail about you then there was like oh i had no idea and i was like i take that as
1: a compliment honestly yeah well i mean i had a (laughs) i had a a manager who had a real thick southern accent and he told me I really like my southern accent because literally everybody in the tech industry underestimates me when they hear it so I just get to blow them out of the water all mm-hmm. the time all the time and it's kind of like how I feel a little bit about the Marines mm-hmm. like my experience with it like if someone knows I'm a Marine they come at me with all of these expectations mm-hmm. And for me to just like, not be those things or to like be different things, it like
0: it's it's kind chan- of like a giant fuck you in a way also. Yeah, which
1: is a very Marine Corps thing, you know, <laughs> like that big middle finger, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. You think you got a handle on me? Fuck you, dude. Do you remember that? <laughs> do you remember in Fort Wachusett when we we were at the range and we rented that truck from the Air Force? And they brought the wrong ammo. No. We went we went down to Fort Wachuca to do range with a unit from Phoenix and they stopped by Luke to pick up a box truck. Right? hmm And so we're driving around in Fort Wachuca, it gets covered in dirt, and then at the end, like we're like packing up all the targets. And there's like a dick drawn on it. Dude, like an eight foot dick. <laughs> it's the the hugest dick. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and none of us I mean we didn't know it was an Air Force truck. But, like, we're just, like, sitting there, like, on, a, on I was, I remember this moment very vividly, I'm like, sitting on the back of this seven-ton, like, we shot first, and then Phoenix went, so, like, I was on the safety vic or whatever with the water and whatnot, so I'm just kind of, like, chilling, sitting there, and this box truck drives by with this eight-foot dick and balls just, like, drawn in the dust on the side of it. <laughs> it just goes rolling by. I remember that. And I'm like, that's fucking, that's hilarious. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's great like why why duh you know mm-hmm. and and then I hear yelling and I'm like I, I better wipe the smile off my face Yeah. and leadership got fucking pissed yep. you know I remember it might have been I don't know what rank but the officer was like you know we borrowed that truck from the air force like what if we sent it back without washing it like what do you think they would think of us and I remember in my head I was like Honestly, if I was in the Air Force and the Marine Corps asked me for a truck, I would expect it to be covered in dicks by the time it came back. You know, I don't. I don't know what reminded me of that moment, but that's just just like the image of of Marines and. Kind oh of yeah, the, the giant middle finger. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Exactly. It's it's the brand, mm-hmm. you know.
0: I mean, when you think about it. It's just a giant dick and balls kind of looks like a middle finger. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was gonna ask you kind of um, your journey into software engineering. So you mentioned earlier that you were in aerospace engineering uh, originally when you were in college, and then dropped out. And then now that you have a new lease on, I don't want to say new lease on life, but I guess. uh, It's fair to say. uh, Rebirth, in a sense, maybe it was caused by the Marines, or maybe it was from being at Starbucks for for long enough. But what made you decide that software engineering was the uh,
1: the choice for you? Well, actually, I mean, I'm still not like super convinced that software engineering is like the thing I want to do until I die, mm. or anything like that. I mean, I like the problem solving, and I like I like building, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so it scratches those itches, mm-hmm. uh, like enough for me to find fulfillment, but you know really when it comes down to it I still have no clue what like my passion air quotes passion is Mm -hmm. you know Um, when I first went back to school I wanted to study electrical engineering actually Um, and so I started down that path and I was doing really well in the classes but I didn't feel like I was learning anything Mm -hmm. and I recognized that as like a lack of passion so I was like well I guess I'll switch you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: I was only doing electrical because I knew someone who did electrical and they were like oh yeah it's great like okay cool um, and so then I was like well fuck you know if I don't like electrical I guess I'll just try software instead and I liked software you know like
2: mm-hmm.
1: the coding a-, a hello world in Python <laughs> like, that was fun you know Yeah. and so and I just kind of stuck with it um, it's been a it's been a lot of hard work, but yeah, I I do I do find it fulfilling. I'm not gonna say it's like the thing I want to do every day until I die, mm-hmm. but uh, it will at least afford me a lifestyle that I can try more things. Mm-hmm. You know. True. Sure, yeah a quick
0: story with that the first time that i typed in hello world and in, in python i was just like wait that's it
1: that's stupid as fuck yeah me too actually <laughs> i was like it was a homework assignment uh uh-huh. it was like the week's worth of homework for, just to figure out how to do that yeah and like install python and do a hello world i was like that's dumb and they were like you built your first program and i was like that doesn't make any sense yeah this isn't a shut up <laughs> But, I mean, like, looking back at it, I guess, you know, I mm-hmm. would recommend anybody to start there. To this day, I still, I mean, yes, like, yeah. uh, I still build Hello Worlds, in a sense, when I'm, like, learning a new language or, or you know, interacting with a new system. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I just build, like, a very basic proof of concept that just says, hey, I did this thing and it works, so I can build from here. Mm. I think that's what it's supposed to teach you, although they don't really build it as that.
0: Yeah, it's it's like a, uh, kind of like a, I don't want to say, probably like a cultural thing. Like, it's, if you're getting into programming, this is what you need to do, but it's like it has it serves a purpose,
1: but no one really voices what that purpose is. Yeah, I think that's because it's meaningful to people who already know, but not people who are learning.
0: Yeah, I, I was going to say, that's the other thing too. Like, when you're starting uh, getting into coding, like, you, you expect that that the code is that you're supposed to learn is going to be more complex right off the bat or like you can the code that you build is pragmatic in a way but it it is kind of just like a fundamental yeah thing to be to start out
1: with well, and I do think there's this like huge disparity also between I mean you know you see the commercials or whatever for tech schools that are like build Unreal Engine 6 and it's like <laughs> you're not going to fucking do that yeah. you know like yeah, yeah. You're going to get a bachelor's degree, four years of learning the basics and that foundational knowledge, mm-hmm. and then you're going to get a master's degree, and then you're going to build Unreal Engine 6. But nobody would go to college if we were like, hey, go to go to school for seven years and then help us do this thing. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, like, there's, like, an incredible mm-hmm. amount of foundational knowledge.
0: Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with that, too, because, like, I, I'm pretty sure I, I told you that I went through, like, a coding camp, and, yep. um, like... Oof, I went in with the expectation that I was going to be like a pro at everything, or all the tools that they were teaching by the end of the program, which wasn't the case at all. It really is just to get you exposed to these different tools, so that way you feel confident enough in like an interview or something to say like to actually be able to put this on your resume and say like, yeah, I can, I could do SQL or Python, um, and like. No, no one's going to expect you to build Unreal Engine 6, but you still have the that fundamental knowledge to not only navigate that specific tool, but also to f- just to figure out more complex things that right. you would be doing on a normal basis within
1: <coughs> said job. Yeah, I think the first two years of my degree were learn these things that all programming languages have in common, mm-hmm. and the last two years, <laughs> I say that like it's been four years this is a f- definitely a five year program for me and it's been ten years since I started going to school so mm-hmm. it's been a long time but the last section of my schooling has been alright figure it the fuck out mm-hmm. here's the requirements yeah we'll give you a lecture that like tells you more about the requirements but but you gotta fucking you gotta learn you know you gotta mm-hmm. like you know the foundational work so you gotta build it yourself right um and actually I think the number one thing I get to put what on my the resume. Fuck is that?
0: Is that rain? Hold up. That is rain, not this rain. It'll probably go away in like half hour. Mm. Maybe. Or it'll keep going for like a day.
1: <laughs> I went what ca- are the two? Went caving this morning. Yeah. I'm claustrophobic. And one of my biggest fears is drowning. And they were like, because of the monsoons. There's a historic amount of water in these caves. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I paid for this? Can, Can you, you imagine? paid to drown. Yeah. Uh, what were we talking about? Engineering? Oh, yeah, okay. So, like, I think the number one point I got to put on my resume, really, um, was just, how, like, I'm, like... Hello, world. <laughs> Hello, world. No. Language agnostic is, is the term. Like, a lot of people aspire in software engineering to be, like, full-stack developers... Which means like, you do the back end, you do the front end, and everything in between connect all the pieces. Um, but I think a piece of that, or even maybe a larger picture aspect, is being lan- language agnostic to where you know pretty much all programming languages have a core idea or concept in common. Mm-hmm. And so like, it doesn't matter if I'm doing JavaScript or Java or C, You know, like I can, I don't. I might not know the specific word that I need to use at this line in the code, but I can Google it. You know, Stack Overflow knows. Mm -hmm. Like anybody, any software engineer who doesn't say that they use Stack Overflow is a fucking liar. And I don't know. Probably super. If you
0: thought that I didn't have a meme exactly for this, you're wrong.
1: I mean, I'm a, I'm a, an, an advocate for. I mean, even my last intern project, like, I say Google, Google and Stack Overflow built this. Like, I put it together. Yeah. But, you know.
0: And that's the other thing, too, where I kind of realized when I was going through my, my coding camp is that, like, you... Not only really do you have, like, the fundamental knowledge, but you also know kind of what you're looking for when you're, when you're actually looking for the right code. Like, on especially on Google or Stack Overflow. And like 99% of the time when you have a problem that you are encountering, somebody else has had that same problem and has answered it too.
1: Yeah, and you have the foundational knowledge to understand the problem itself. Yes. You're not just randomly Googling and, and, and like sifting through results hoping for something. No, I mean, really when it comes down to it, I think they spend the first two or three years teaching you the fundamentals and making you physically reinvent the wheel which let me tell you is a painful process Mm -hmm. like it's not fun but then the last year or two it's like okay no more reinventing the wheel build something yeah you know and it's like don't don't try to bring in like don't don't make your own solution for this find out what other people have done and do that Mm-hmm. use reuse what you can. No business in the world is going to want to pay you for two hundred hours to rebuild something when they when there's a perfectly good solution that already exists yep, there's a, I say that there's a ca- a caveat <clears throat> like with security like you know if there is a potential employer listening to this podcast, like bringing in third party libraries introduces dependencies, and so that that's always like a risky thing. So you always need to be careful about when you do that. However, not reinventing the wheel is a huge piece of being an effective software engineer. There's a quote I'm trying to find. Um, 10, 10, 10s, 20s, and then 50s, bitch.
0: Good coders borrow, great coders steal.
1: (laughs) It's true. Yep. It's the fucking truth. Because you have to know exactly what you're stealing. And you have to know how to steal it in a way that helps you. Yep. It's like, anybody can cut and paste, but getting three segments of Stack Overflow code to work together, like, that is hard. Mm-hmm. But, like, understanding the concept and, like, knowing how it all works together and making it flow, that's that's the the magic. That's the, the sauce. That's the bread and butter. That's the, <laughs> That's the... <laughs> Never
0: mind. That's it. Yep, that's, <laughs> okay, the stuff. that's it. Um, so, can you go into any detail about working as a as a engineering intern for Starbucks? Because a lot of people would go and hear that and think, like, first of all, that like working for corporate Starbucks is intimidating. But also, I'm sure a lot of people are curious about like what that day to day is like too.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, let me clarify. I've done two internships. And neither one of them were software engineering. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they both had the term or I guess I guess the job title of data analyst intern. Okay. Um, which through my two experiences I've learned is like kinda like a catch all. Like oh, where, yeah. when you hire a tech person, you don't I'm like not sure where they fit, you just put like data analysts, slap that shit on there and mm-hmm. like it's all good to go. So my first internship was really um, program management as it related to the development of an internal web app that was used to, like, measure measure the health of um, Starbucks systems when it came to, like, it was very far-reaching. So, like, infrastructure as well as, like, services provided and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually still in development. I was going to so, say, are you able to talk about this? Um, I can talk about it generally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah so it's I mean like that very far reaching very wide scope but I worked on a team with two other interns as the project manager project lead what have you Mm -hmm. Um, so it was up to me to like kind of like make the solution like uh, conceptualize like what all needed to happen and connect all the systems and determine what success even really looked like right Mm -hmm. and I had a software development intern on our team or like we had one on our team and she like She's a whiz. She graduated college at like 15, has been doing software development professionally for like four years before the internship. And I just realized, I was like, fuck, you know, I'm a software engineer, but I am not going to code at the level that this person is coding, like Mm -hmm. period. So uh, I just transitioned like kind of fully into program management at that point and just really like visioned the future for the project and led the team. My second internship was like kind of like the opposite experience, because I worked outside of a tech team. Like I worked with a data team that didn't have any software engineers. Like there were no software engineers for like many layers around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were like, "We have this problem, and we think this will be the solution." And I got to like go out and flesh all of it out and validate what the solution even was. Like build. The, it, it was a web app, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, build it out to, like, no, from no code to, like, living on a server somewhere, talking to another server, like, with middleware involved. Like, it was... It was a, a completely different experience. So, um, I guess, from the day-to-day, what it looked like... First off, Starbucks, I feel like, is a big company. They get you you feel that way because it is i feel that way because mm-hmm. it is they get thousands of applications for like just about any position mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, that's
0: kind of why i brought it up like when when a lot of people hear like oh working for corporate starbucks that's a little bit intimidating because there's a lot of competition and
1: it's a well-known popular brand yeah i mean they this might be the cockiest thing i say out loud but like they keep, yeah. <laughs> they keep telling me these things. They keep telling me these internships are competitive, but they keep giving them to me, so I don't know. Uh-huh. like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a retail partner, and I'm studying software engineering. There's not, a, like, through Starbucks, like, uh-huh. through their university program. So it's like, there's not a lot of us out there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The, the sample size is very small, so I have an advantage. But, like, um, I guess when it comes to, like, the, the day-to-day... Starbucks is a very it it's strange cuz it's like a, it's a coffee company doing tech things but like the the tech things it's like the mm. how do i say this it Starbucks is a culture right like the the customer experience like the partner experience they always put that at like the core of what they do okay right what were you going to say uh, i was going to make some
0: smart ass joke or something mm. It'd be like yeah it's a mindset six, six bucks for a coffee that's the it's a mindset uh, <laughs> someone Hello. someone posted uh i don't watch tiktoks ever but someone posted on what's her name caitlin she posted a tiktok on her story then it made me fucking laugh <laughs> <laughs>
1: It, it, it really be like that <laughs> this is the music dude too, every time like, every yeah. time somebody asks me they're like like why is this fucking five dollars and I'm like it's cause you're paying my tuition and you're paying for my healthcare like you're just and my Spotify premium I don't say the Spotify <laughs> part but like that's a perk yeah oh. fr- free Spotify premium like <laughs> subsidized health insurance free college tuition Spotify premium uh free food and beverages a pound of coffee a week like there's a lot of like oh five percent 401k match like starbucks makes a point of being not just like starbucks is the shit is essentially that's, huh. the, that's the title of this episode if you're a poor college kid that wants to go to school for free here's the here's the the caveat it has don't, to be, don't join the marines don't, Join don't, Starbucks. Don't fucking yeah true that <laughs> But it has to be um, online school. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. Starbucks doesn't do in person school. Even if you live in Phoenix, you have to do ASU online, just so you know. But anyway, great benefits, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And Starbucks makes a point of not being like about pay specifically. Like they pay competitively, but it's not about, it's not just about that. Like it's about the partner experience, right? So going to work for corporate, you know, was just like an extension of that. Um, I having two internships can look back and say that it's like maybe at most 50% about your project 50% about what you produce mm-hmm. the other 50% is about like networking your experience like like making those connections and like the just like you're literally like your human experience during the internship right because mm-hmm. um, I think Starbucks and I agree that that like human aspect of it is where the true value is driven right um so I, I, I so
0: human aspect in like in the sense that um yeah I mean people are, are essentially like the heart of the company and
1: yeah. they're the ones that's generate the most value Pe- people at our core that's like the, the shtick right like happy I mean like from a leadership standpoint happy and fulfilled employees generate more value mm-hmm. period but from like a corporate standpoint we're a people company with a pro with a coffee problem mm-hmm. you know so like we're we're selling coffee but the coffee is not like the first thing we're selling like the first thing we're selling is when you walk through the door and have that Starbucks experience when somebody greets you when you walk through the door and mm. and, and And your barista's hot as fuck. Yeah, that too. And then <laughs> I mean like, you know, someone asks you how you enter Kyle how your days go. <laughs> <It's like, laughs> if you like dad buds. So the and picks our ass. And picks our ass. Dad bod and picks our ass. Wow, I sound disproportionate. <laughs> My biceps are cool too. Um I don't know. I mean it's just like it's it's bigger than just the coffee, I guess. But anyway, all that to say, the corporate internship experience is great.
0: Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Between the Soup. I really hope that you enjoyed it. if you did, you can reach out to betweenthesoup.pod on Instagram and let me know what your thoughts were on the discussion. If you didn't like it, you should definitely let me know what your thoughts were so that way I can improve the show. Uh, Thanks again so much. Uh, It means a lot that you're tuning in.